0: What if you only ate once every single day? First, we will go through the benefits. Second, we will go to time benefits. And third, we will discuss the fasting of all of this. Eating once every single day means you eat only during a certain time window. This time window is usually two hours, one hour. So if you go really hardcore, it's usually one hour. This means within this one hour, you intake all the calories you take into your body on this single day. The problem one of the major problem problems is this that your stomach over the time of over the course of the whole day over the 22 hours over the 20 hours it depends on how long your eating window is. but if you speak about one meal a day it's usually only one hour or at max two hours because two hours is already kind of two meals again. So now the idea is this: you don't eat for most of the day. What this means is many different things we will will shortly discuss, but the main thing is that you just don't eat. And if you then eat, then you eat, and then you just stop again. So basically, it becomes very easy to think about eating, to think about nutrition, because for most of the day, and since your life consists out of days, you don't have to think about food, because why would you? You couldn't eat anyway if you follow this principle of eating once every single day. So let's actually dive into the main benefits. I wanted to convince myself that this was a very good solution two years ago. And these are part of the notes I took, I wrote basically for myself, I took as a summary of many different things I learned from the internet, from people like Thomas de Lauer, who discuss these things in more detail than I will. And these are some of the notes. So first of all, the idea from now on, don't eat anything during the day. From 6 p.m. then I usually do sport, then food. This is also one of the main benefits again, because if you're doing sport and you're doing sport in a faucet state, what this means is that there are, is actually fat in your muscle that kind of additionally to the glycogen in your muscle kind of acts as a energy provider for working out. And this basically means you lose a little bit of fat and this fat is then restored in the muscle, kind of. This is actually what Thomas Dinar described in one of his videos. If you want to go into detail into training in a fasted state and also about how easy it is to access energy in a fasted state and to basically then perform at a certain given threshold or at a certain given output level and to perform to basically the ability to access your movement not really your movement but more the ability to access the energy of your body and to make your body do things and basically if you want to dive more deep into this i can only recommend thomas de channel he is on youtube and also on tiktok and instagram i think so now let's dive into the notes again as a result fasting for 22 hours every single day and in the evening i have to keep if I want to keep a current weight. This also now is, in terms of weight management, also something that is very easy because this one meal defines what you eat in a single day. If you are tracking calories, then you only have to track one meal. And also because your one meal, maybe over the course of one or two hours, is basically also visually the things you eat in a day, it becomes very clear what you eat and what you don't eat because it's not, it's not, there is no cheating during the day. There is no, okay, I eat this croissant and then this apple and I forgot already because it's very clear. All these things you eat are there and you can prepare these things and then you eat them. And these are the things you eat during a given day. Let's think about this in terms of time management, maybe already, even though I said we will discuss it later on in more detail. If you Eat once every single day. What this means is, first of all, 22 hours to divided by 24 hours gives you a percentage of 91%. This means for 91%, and since, again, the life your life consists out of days, for 91% of your time you don't eat. And you also don't have to think about eating because you just don't eat. What also comes in necessary is a fixed eating window every single day because then the body actually can accumulate to this window not really accumulate because that's the wrong word but much more accommodate to this window in time and this means that all the processes in your body like when is cortisol released in the morning for example and when you are and the different states you are in basically an a heightened alert state for example and things like these the body can actually plan incorporate your system design your daily design and then act upon it and basically optimize upon it. So let's dive into these notes again. You need less willpower because food just becomes, when it comes to food volume control, because you, why is this the case? So this is actually something I have experienced again and again and again. When it comes to controlling how much food you actually eat, of course, there are the satiation, there is the satiety system your body actually has, but there is another system. So basically, your body has two different systems. The first one is that it basically has sensors in your gut that determine how nutrient dense or calorie rich also the food, the incoming food in your stomach already is. If you, for example, drink 250 milliliters of olive oil, then these sensors, basically tell your brain and then your brain tells you to stop eating because 250 milliliters of olive oil is a lot in terms of calories because olive oil has a calorie density of roughly 800 calories per liter, which is really much. So now the idea is this is the first principle. The first principle is the sensors, not really the first principles, but one of the first (laughs) it's, it's the first system your body actually has and the second one again, simplified is that you have your stomach volume and your stomach actually can shrink during the day if you don't eat anything and then it can expand again. And this expansion is actually kind of the other sensor. So basically, if your stomach is expanding, this gives you kind of a feeling of relaxation and also the feeling of fullness because you actually are full. So now the idea is this, if you fast during all of the day, your stomach, if this was your stomach size, your stomach size is up to 3 liters, usually it can also expand maybe up to 7, eight, ten liters. So I don't know the exact record, but usually it's probably 2 to 3 liters. So now the idea is, if you don't eat anything, the stomach actually just shrinks down, which also has again already another major benefit and this other major benefit is something when it comes to posture and when it comes to sport which we will discuss shortly so during the day your stomach actually shrinks to a size maybe to the size of your fist this is actually something i heard i don't know if it really shrinks to the size of your fist so but it of course shrinks because there's nothing in there of course if you drink then two liters of water your stomach expands again this is also why drinking water kind of works to Get a little bit of satiation because it expands the stomach, so therefore, enabling one of these principles for satiety to work. So, now during the day, your stomach shrinks. And now, if you eat within this one or two hour window, in my experience, this is just my experience, this is not statistically significant and it's also cannot be generalized, but in my experience, it works like this. If you eat something, your stomach expands a little bit. And then if your stomach expands, it's again empty, kind of, because the things that are in there relative to the stomach size, the current stomach size, is then the proportion. So basically, if the stomach expands, the proportion of how much of the stomach is filled just grows smaller. So therefore, if you eat something a little bit, for example, in the first hour of eating, after your stomach being shrunk for maybe also after a long fast for one or two days, then what happens is that you eat just a very small amount and you already feel full. So this fullness principle comes already, acts already as one of the satiation principles. So now what happens is if you then go into a bigger eating phase again, and if you don't do just omit, what happens is that your stomach expands and then it expands some more and then you drink something. For example, if you eat for the next six hours, for the next eight hours. What happens is that your stomach expands again. And therefore, whenever now your stomach shrinks again, this is also one of the hunger principles. So another hunger principle, not really hunger principle, but one of the indicators, or one of the hunger systems you could also see. So the first one is the stomach shrinking. And this is also when the stomach actually, so when you have this feeling of hunger, not really this feeling, but this, Indicator that your body actually says to you. Oh, I'm hungry. The first one is the physical sensation again It's the stomach shrinking and also kind of the movements in your digestive tract This is actually often causing these um, noises these noises we associate with hunger and Now the second one is the stomach shrinking again If your stomach then is already shrunken down Then this principle doesn't really act anymore. So therefore if you now fast through the entire day and you only eat during a very short period the stomach so imagine the stomach and it's now at 100 100 percent if it now would increase to a size three times the volume so let's say it's one liter and it would increase to the size expand to the size of three liters this would be a 300 percent increase but let's now imagine you ate already during the day and then it goes from two liters to three liters So basically, it's like this, and then it goes to 3 liters. Then what happens is that this now is only a 50% increase. And in terms of these percentages, this influences how we perceive satiety. This now means, basically, broken down. If you don't eat during the day, your stomach shrinks, and therefore, you are satiated at a point. So if this is what you could potentially eat, then you are satiated already in the beginning, maybe, compared to down the line if you ate much more food. So now let's dive further into the notes. Just listing other benefits. You have the certainty that you can eat well every single night because you have all of the calories still there. And also if you try to maybe slim down or things like these, then it just is very calming in terms of the psychological effect of eating, that you have this thing you can look forward to at the end of the day. And also because eating causes relaxation and also for many is relaxation or also is associated with relaxation. Therefore, this is kind of a nice benefit at the end of the day. You don't need to worry about food anymore during the day. So this means whenever you are in a city, whenever you're working and things like these, there are all these triggers everywhere constantly bombarding you with eating junk food, basically triggers for eating junk food, the donut at the store above the street, or maybe in the office, somebody brings cake and things like these. The idea is if you eat once a day, and this once a day for me is usually in the evening, because if you take the normal free meals, the breakfast, the lunch, and the dinner, then the dinner is the one that is the most. So if you leave out the other two, and you only have the dinner, then this is the most socially compatible system. Because if you eat breakfast, then you cannot eat with your family and celebrate a birthday in the evening. And since many of us work during the day, uh, this means that in the evening there is basically this is the most social time, therefore having dinner as a one meal a day works the best. Now back to all of these triggers and avoiding all of this food during the day. If it is just very clear that you eat in the evening then you just don't need to worry about constraining yourself to not eating during the day because after quite some time it becomes a habit if something becomes a habit then it's basically that basically means that your brain automated this decision or choice into the subconscious so therefore it becomes clear and it also becomes easier to not eat during the day. This means, basically, think of a habit as your subconscious constantly analyzing everything you do. And whenever there is a repetitive pattern, it basically takes this pattern, writes a sub-program, and this then becomes a habit, and therefore you don't actively, with your the rational part of our brain, so there are two different parts of our brain, simplified, The first one is system one, the second one is system two. System one is basically the intuitive one and system two is the rational one, the hard thinking one, the one that actually causes work. And the one that actually causes work or that actually takes effort to think is system two. And therefore, the more something becomes a habit, the less you have to employ system two to actually get into fasting during the day, for example. If you now are out and about or you're working from home or you're working for a big company it doesn't matter really the main idea is this in terms this already involves time management a little bit when everybody eats during the day of course there's also a social time if you eat with a colleague in 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 the company you are working of course this is also a social time and this creates already kind of a problem but again the socially most so when it comes to social interactions, having the dinner is the best option for OMAD and therefore these others, of course they are not optimal. It's not optimal if somebody wants to eat lunch together and you can't because you fast. But at the same time, if you have the habit and also, so if you have the habit and also maybe the willpower still, because if somebody eats something in front of you and you are very hungry, of course, this probably still needs a little bit of willpower unless you did it for the last five years and you never made an exception. then. This is, of course, a a downside of this pattern. But again, if it becomes clear, then you don't have to use your mental power, not your mental power, but kind of your willpower to constrain yourself when it comes to food intake. And now what this enables you to do is there is this concept that you have a fixed willpower at at a given time. This could mean a day. This could mean 12 hours. It doesn't really matter what matters is this. There have been studies which actually actually did the following experiment. So there were people who did mathematical equations and who had to do them and who had to solve them. And these mathematical equations, you have to solve them with system two. So therefore you have to use your willpower to solve these. And then afterwards, these people were presented with food choices. And now what was observed is that the people who did something with the willpower before solving these mathematical puzzles or riddles or equations often went to the more chunkier, so more chunk food version of the food later on. This means that the willpower—this would be the interpretation—that the willpower is kind of drained by these willpower-engaging mathematical equations and therefore you have less willpower when it comes to then deciding the healthy food option. This now means if you don't have to use your willpower to constrain your food intake all day long, that you have more willpower to actually do the things you want to do during the day. Because eating, even though it's fun, even though it releases dopamine, even though it releases other, other neurotransmitters and neuromodulators at the end of the day it's something you have to do and it's also something you have to optimize because otherwise you will die because of the wrong diet this is actually one of the main causes of death <laughs> diet death by the wrong diet this is one of the main problems of our society it's obesity it's this western diet i don't want to dive too much into this but we already this already connects to another main benefit if you eat only once during the day cooking or preparing the meal becomes a more viable option because out of the the standard three times a day, you just cut 66% of the meal prepping time, basically. Of course, it doesn't really, this is a given thing now. I just assume that you prepare, that you already have a given amount of time you take for preparing the breakfast, eating the breakfast and things like these. But just think about The time, this actually, so if you take these two other meals, the eating time and also the preparation time maybe, or it doesn't even have to, you don't even have to prepare these meals on your own. Even if you go to a shop somewhere, it takes maybe five minutes, ten minutes, because you have to kind of deviate from your normal normal workday and things like these. So therefore, if you just take this 66% of your time, given that every single one of these three meals has the same time, Then you just have 66% more time for the one meal that counts during the day, the dinner. So now in conclusion, this means it becomes a much better option or a much more accessible option to also cook (laughs) and to also prepare the meals for yourself because you only have to do it once every single day. You could even go further and prepare, for example, what I did in the past, I experimented with this, was to prepare boxes of food, basically cook the food already, and to then have these frozen boxes in the freezer, and then to just basically defreeze it and put it into the microwave, which again takes a little bit of the nutrients, that's a problem. But then I would just have this one single box and this was my meal. Additionally, I could supplement with with vegetables, basically fresh vegetables or other fresh things, but mostly vegetables. And this, the idea is this, that it's already prepared. So therefore you don't even have to think about what you eat. So therefore outsourcing, not really outsourcing, but outsourcing mentally outsourcing it to one day a week. So basically I took the Sunday, usually I, I cooked for one or two hours, listen to podcast while doing the whole thing. And then I had like like depending on how much food I got out of all of these different things, I had ten to 14, 15 different boxes. I put them into the freezer and then I just took one out every single day, put it into the fridge, and then um it became unfrozen during the night, for example. And then Yeah well, but also the microwave. So therefore if you want even more flexibility then you just use a microwave but i didn't really know. we had a microwave so i lived somewhere in a in a flat chair before and we had a microwave but i didn't really know how to use a microwave because i never had before let's talk about dental health one of the main problems is that you have food in your mouth all the time and the saliva actually acts as a kind of what do you say sanitizer for your mouth and also for establishing long-term health of your teeth all the time so therefore the problem the main problem is and this also again includes the diet choice if you have something that's very sugary and things like these of course the bacteria in your mouth the harmful bacteria in your mouth thrive not of course but they thrive better from sugar and things like these now if you have a combination where something that is made of acid or something that is slightly acidic is in your mouth and then the sugar this actually is creates a very bad combination so now in the past imagine so many people don't even brush their teeth afterwards there are also recommendations by dentists dentists who say that you don't have to brush your teeth every after every single meal but then again you have the problem that you have all these the rests of what you ate in your mouth and this creates the problem of these harmful bacteria actually increasing in your mouth and then your teeth potentially getting rotten. So now here's the idea. If you don't eat for almost all of the time of the day and you only eat once, you only have to brush your teeth once. So when it comes to teeth brushing and overdoing the teeth brushing with after every single meal three times a day, which I did in the past to prevent basically carriers. It's called caries i just looked up the pronunciation because i wasn't sure so now to prevent caries and also tooth decay the idea is if you don't eat during all of the day you reduce the number of potential potentially brushing brushing the teeth by 66 percent, and you also only have to brush them once a day so therefore the potential damage from brushing your teeth too much and therefore um, harming the enamel of your teeth so basically the the layer that is the protecting layer of your teeth it's just a much better solution altogether because these bacteria carriers or carriers just has only a very short time window to build basically if you eat one hour during the day or two hours during the day that's the absolute amount of time they can do harmful things because afterwards you brush your teeth and you're clean again. This is one of the main benefits. Here again, listing. You can look forward to the evening all day long. In the evening, you don't have to feel bad during sports. Here's the idea. Feeling bad is multiple things combined here already again. We already talked about posture. If If this is you and this is your stomach. Your stomach is just here. Then if you have food in your stomach or also water in your stomach, then you have just something that is basically sticking out in front of you. Now, this worsens your posture all day long. If you do something like lifting, if you do something like running, if you do basically any sport that involves you doing the proper movement, which is basically any sport, then you have the problem that this thing in front of you constantly weakens your posture. So actually what happens is if you have... This is basically gut in front of you what often happens is that you that your pelvis rotates so i will move back a little bit so if you have a gut sticking out then your pelvis often rotates backwards in order to kind of accommodate or yeah accommodate for this gut in front of you and then again your shoulders might move rotate forward and this creates a whole posture problem altogether again If you are now doing sport, this kind of prevents you from moving properly. And also, there is this thing, if you eat something and then if you actually fast for a while, what often happens is that your stomach actually shrinks down, which I already explained. And then it hurts, it begins to hurt. Why is this the case? Because previously, if the stomach is expanded all the time, which was for me the case for many years, and I didn't even know it, but because if you eat for example, a bowl of oats in the morning, and these oats increase in size and volume even more, and you also drink all day long, then you constantly have an enlarged, basically a food stomach. A stomach that is constantly constantly working to get the nutrients out of this food together with the digestive tract. And here we again have another benefit. And this other benefit is also one of the main benefits of OMAD: It's focus. So, the digestive tract altogether is an organ. And organs, in order to work properly, need nutrients. Nutrients like nutrients, but also oxygen. And now the idea is this. At a given fixed amount of blood in your system, let's say this is all of the blood in your system, if you have your digestive tract working all day because it actually digests all the food all day, what happens is that out of this fixed amount of oxygen, out of this fixed amount of blood, a certain percentage is just going to the stomach and it's basically drained from all your other organs such as the brain. There is also another benefit which we will discuss shortly, which is called ketones and ketones and focus and things like these. Before, here's another benefit. If you work out shortly before eating, this creates a major motivation when working out because you then can eat afterwards. And when it comes to working out and timing the eating, if you first eat and then work out, you have, again, the stomach problem and also the posture problem and also the problem that you have a fixed given or certain percentage of your blood and also your energy output in your gut. So in your digestive tract working constantly. So now the idea is, and also fasting is just, has more health benefits in a fasted state. Not fasting, but working out has more health benefits in a fasted state. So now the idea is, which way should you go? Should you first eat, then work out, or should you just first work out and then eat? Taking the benefits of the fasted workout, it would be more wise to first work out, then eat. When it comes to posture, it would be more wise to first eat, to first work out and then eat. When it comes to nutrient availability, it would be wise to first work out and then eat. Because if you first work out and then eat, after a workout, your body is basically micro-destroyed. There are micro-tears, for example, in your muscles, which mean that your muscle actually has to be restored, has to be basically built up again, and this is also... Kind of the cycle where you can increase muscle mass and also strength, but if you then eat afterwards, you have the availability window afterwards. So basically, after the damage, and then you fast for 20 hours again because you have the two hours. And it depends on when you exactly eat after you worked out. But the idea is that you have this availability. So the nutrient availability is this window is after the working out after the working out. And this is also when muscle synthesis or protein synthesis is the highest after the workout and also then when food is available. There is also an argument to be made where you first eat something and then work out because it takes, of course, a little bit to digest all these nutrients and then have the availability. Therefore, if you first eat something and then work out, so shortly before working out, this could also create basically a benefit in terms of long term health and also in terms of getting your strength and also muscle mass up. The problem with this approach again is the posture and also the timing. I for myself for example realized after many years of trying to run, I always had these side stitches. So basically under my under my chest there were always these stitches where actually this where the diaphragm attaches basically to your ribs. And I had these pains all the time. And what I found out when going OMAT and we're trying to also fast for longer periods of time, is that this is hugely dependent on food. Think about it. If you have food in your stomach, this actually pushes out all the other things into other directions. And then if you run, you constantly have basically tension from all these other organs, which are not in their best place. Which are, not, which are not in their best position, in the optimal position. And this creates, at least in my experience, some problems with running. So therefore, now the question is, when should you, if you ate before working out, when should you actually eat, eat then, And when it comes to protein synthesis and things like these, Again, the idea is to shortly eat before working out, but this only works if you have something where you don't have to move a lot. Because if you do something like parkour, if you do something like running, bicycling, going on the bicycle, or bicycling, or riding a bike, again, is something that is okay with eating before, because you don't have to move your midsection all the time. But if you're running, also the midsection is obviously the thing that moves the least together with the head but, so there are sports, let's just say there are sport, sport activities that are more optimal for this combination of first eating and then working out and activities where it is more optimal the other way around because you actually need the full flexibility of the body without having food in your digestive tract and your digestive tract and your stomach therefore being expanded. Diving into another big section. Of benefits is the social aspect. If you think about what do you do in the evening socially then the answer is often maybe doing something with friends, doing something with people you know you want to have in your life and people you care about. So now the idea is you take your eating time and your eating time could be eating and cooking together and you basically combine two different functions of time and this is basically giving time a primary and a secondary function and therefore using the time twice so it sounds insane it actually also kind of is but it's also it's just very simple if you think about things you are doing there are things i call primary activities and things i call secondary i don't know if somebody else also uses this nomenclature or basically uses the same names for these things but i just define them for myself like this primary activities are the activities you do basically at a given point in time and where you also need most of your attention the idea is this now if you don't need most of your attention maybe only 90 percent of your attention for the primary activity that actually fixes what you actually are currently doing if you are riding a bike somewhere you cannot do the dishes simultaneously. So the idea is now, if you're riding a bike, what you can do is because these other activities you are doing like riding the bike and pedaling are actually already automated and also the driving part and the part where you actually head into any direction is already automated to a certain extent. What you can do is use your brain and using the left capacity of your brain to actually introduce a secondary activity. and. This means that you now are using your time twice. You can bike and learn at the same time. You can bike and read at the same time, listening to audiobooks. So now the idea is when it comes to being social in the evening, cooking is a just a very nice activity you can do together with somebody else. And this is also why all over the world, cooking and also eating together are kind of part of being social, eating together for dinner, celebrating somebody's birthday, celebrating somebody marrying, its all. it often evolves around eating. Even if you have other events, there is also often coffee and then the dinner and then maybe a dessert after dinner and things like these. It basically evolves around eating. So now the idea is this. You take the time you already put aside, you already saved during the day, and you cook and eat, but you do it with friends. So therefore, you have the social activity, and the eating, and the cooking combined. And therefore, you're using your time twice. And this also, again, is very, very nice when it comes to having something to look to look forward to during the day, because if you you know, not only are looking forward to the food, but maybe also looking forward to meeting your friends and when it comes to working hard playing hard this just is a very easy mindset because it's either working on totally on or totally off it's not something in between where you then have for example lunch in the cafeteria of the company you work and you should be quick with eating because then you have to go back again and you also think about all the things you are already doing this creates a very easy mindset it's you stand up you work all day or you study all day or you go to school all day and then in the evening for me that's usually at 6 p.m i just quit my work day and when i quit then my work day i go one hour to sport and then i fast for another hour where i do management activities like planning calendar things, fixing things, fixing my bike, things like these. So basically life management activities, you could say. And then at 8 p.m., and this is the schedule I figure out after basically two years of experimenting with the different concepts, with the different time schedules, like 16 to 8 is obviously not an OMAD schedule, but intermittent fasting. OMAD is basically a very hardcore version of intermittent fasting that has basically a heightened version also of all the benefits alongside with some downsides that come with this heightened version. But at least for myself and also when it comes to time management and just simplicity, mental simplicity I would say, it just creates this very simple version of your day, of how you see things because it's just you stand up, you work and if you need to break or if you need to basically eat earlier because you just cannot. Of course this is an ideal case I'm describing all the time. What often happens, at least to me sometimes, maybe to you not because you are in terms of willpower much stronger than me but the idea is this. If you can't take it any longer because you are maybe freezing all day because this is one of the side effects of fasting, if you don't do it correctly and also depending on your energy consumption in between. If you, for example, had a very hefty workout the evening before and then you only eat something that was not that big in terms of calorie size. All these things are different factors. But what I wanted to summarize here at this point in time is that it creates this very easy mindset. Working during the day, in the evening you eat, in the evening you are social. And it basically puts aside the willpower also and just things like these. So let's go further into the benefit. So one of the benefits of working out in the evening, this is also a big question, working out in the morning or in the evening, working out in the morning for most people means they have to stand up earlier because then at a given fixed beginning of work time, usually eight or nine, this then means for some people even seven or for some companies seven, this means that if you have to work out before, and then you also have to shower before, so with with the workout, it's it's not only the workout itself, but it's also the management basically of the workout, like changing clothes, having the clothes available in the location where you actually want to work out, then showering afterwards, because the problem is, if you work out in the beginning of the day, you are basically, you basically almost have to shower or wash yourself, if you then want to do things in the public. So or with other people at least. So now the idea is this. If you work out in the evening and also eat afterwards, of course the eating part is not so big here, but the idea is that you in the morning don't work out. And this also means again, you don't have to worry even about working out because this happens after your work day is done. So basically you stand up and then you can go straight to work. You can have breakfast with your children, (laughs) small joke here. The idea is that you just have one goal through the entire day and that is working out, not working out, but working. And then 6 p.m. hits and 6 p.m. is also kind of, this is what everybody uses. It's either 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Most countries on this planet work to these times, nine to five or also eight to six. It depends on the working hours, of course, and other factors, but the idea is again, Working during the day, the day is there to work. Most of the day is used for working on things. And then this line, 6 p.m., which also happens to be one quarter of the day. Because 6 p.m., 6 hours, 24 hours, it's 25% of your time. And then it just creates this very easy frame for you to act in. And this takes a lot of the decisions. You would have a lot of the decisions and choices. So, Influencing how you make choices is called choice architecture and are how other people make choices and puts them aside, outsources them basically at least mentally. Now, you also just gained an additional hour where everybody eats. Of course, you can use this hour to also socialize during the day. For example, if everybody in your company eats and goes to lunch, what you also could do is potentially go for a walk. Of course, this is kind of lonely and things like these. This is just what you could potentially do. You could also just go with your colleagues. And then this time of eating becomes just a purely social time. You don't have to focus on eating, on ordering food, on getting the food back and all of these things. Of course, this is also a kind of a frame that is not very helpful. The frame of you sitting there at dinner with other people because this constantly gives you the feedback that you are depriving yourself of something. If you instead go for a walk, this doesn't even come up. So the idea is that you have to remove yourself from the triggers and this makes it easier, which again, in terms of dinner, in terms of lunch, together with other people, it's not something that's ideal, but that's something you have to take if you wanna use OMAD with one meal a day being the dinner. So let's talk about the break again. The break you have when everybody else goes to lunch. The entire world goes to lunch because most of everybody eats lunch. Apart from freaky people like me who don't eat lunch or eat later in the afternoon or in the evening. Or you're doing completely almost and only eat one hour of every single day. So now the idea is you have this time. And what you can do with this time is sleep. This sounds ridiculous, but power napping actually has major benefits. Restoring... Brain function basically is one of the major benefits and also getting rid of, so there's something in your body. So when it comes to sleepiness, there are two things. The one thing is, or two systems in your body, the one thing is the circadian rhythm. This basically is a rhythm that is very directly tied to The sunrise and basically the light situation and the light exposure outside. And the second thing, so this is the one rhythm that basically says, oh, it's night, we sleep. And the other thing is a build up of melatonin. It's released by the pineal gland and controls your sleep patterns. So this is the second system. And the second system is something that can be tricked by basically doing a power nap. Which means, again, you increase your efficiency during the day because you don't have this slump in the afternoon where you just cannot get yourself to work. And this is also one of them. This already directly ties into the next big thing. The next big thing is the effect of food on you, on your focus, and also on just your general state. So, coined by Andrew Huberman, at least he explained it to me on his podcast, is I wasn't on a podcast, but nevertheless I listened to it, and therefore I just... Name dropped him. So now the idea is, you have different different variables, and these different variables are, for example, alertness on the one side and relaxation on the other side. And you are moving in between those two extreme values. So now the idea is this: if you don't eat, you become more alert, more alert, more alert, more alert. Why does this, from an evolutionary standpoint, make sense? Because the farther away you are from the point in time where you actually ate, the more crucial it becomes that you eat something again. In, in the past, it was not the case that we could just eat all the time, but we actually had to do things so for being able to eat. Hunting, for example, when it comes to the time of hunter and gatherers, So now the idea is this. Your body is designed to become more alert while fasting. The more you fast, the longer you fast, the more alert you become. You kind of become hyper, you would say. Not you would say, but this is actually kind of what happens, at least in my experience. You just become more rational, more and more and more and more. You see things you didn't see before. Imagine you having eaten a whole bowl of pasta or pizza or, or something very sugary. And afterwards, you are just... you brain is just so basically here is you here is your brain and after eating a large amount of carbohydrates is basically like hey hello it just didn't work it just has a latency to it it has a reaction time that is just unbearable and it's just not there You try to connect to your brain, so basically you as the rational system too, and you want to compute something, and it just doesn't compute. It's just very slow. It's just very laggy. And this is a major effect, a major relaxation effect of carbohydrates, in general also of eating. So out of the three different nutrients, so macronutrients, we have carbohydrates, fat, and protein. Fat actually has the least triggers the least amount of relaxation, then comes the proteins and then comes the carbohydrates. So basically, if you want to work during the day, eating carbohydrates in any time during the day is a very bad idea. Because for the next hours, you will be very sleepy, you will be very relaxed and you will not be focused and alert. And that's a problem because it prevents you from being efficient at the thing you are doing. It it also increases, in my experience again, this is not something that is comes from studies, but in my experience, you become much more calmer. So, there's another, there is another, basically, another scale. The one is alert and being alert and relaxed, and the other one is being calm and being kind of edgy. So, the ideal combination of these is being alert and calm. Because then you're not like, oh, and then I have to do this and this. So then you don't have panic. And so in my experience, fasting, putting yourself in the ketogenic state, basically fat burning using either the fat that is in your system or that is in your fat stores, using it and burning it. This is called the ketogenic way of getting energy because it releases as a byproduct of using this fat in order to also restore the glycogen stores. This is also why it is then possible to work out with glycogen stores, which have a higher energy availability and a lower energy latency, you could say. So if you wanna run, you can actually run instead of, because the problem is of the fat process, it is less, it has a lower power output. That's kind of a problem. So at a given amount of time, you can retrieve more energy using carbohydrates from your body than using fat as a fuel. If you now invest time into fasting and training your body to fast and training your body into the ketogenic state more, both processes, the carbohydrate process and also the ketogenic process, so the fat burning process, become more efficient. So you become more fuel efficient because you put your your body in a state where it actually needs to be more efficient or it is helpful to be more efficient. And that's the reason this happens over time. And this is also one of the nice things, again, about fasting, about OMAD and about the ketogenic diet, because if you get yourself in a state where you can also use glycogen more. This means at a given glycogen storage situation, so over time, if you actually work out, your glycogen stores in your muscle muscles actually increase. So this means carbohydrates are stored directly in your muscles, which are then converted into KTP and ADP, which are then used for energy use. So for instant energy use. Then what this means is so ATP is adenine 3 phosphate, and then you have adenine D-phosphate, which is basically the split version that has less energy. And you also have KTP, creatine, D-phosphate and triphosphate. So basically these two different versions again. The tri again stands for the one that has more energy. So now, this is also why some people take creatinine or creatine to maybe improve their workout performance. But now, back to the improvement of the, the, these processes. If you go into a fasted state, or with being on OMAD, with being on a prolonged fast. You teach your body to be more efficient with carbohydrates. And when it comes then to maybe a competition or things like these, it is very helpful to, first of all, be flexible. So you, you teach your body also to be flexible between those different things. This is the ideal state. You want to both be able to use carbohydrates as fuel because uh, if you deprive yourself completely of carbohydrates for a long period of time, this also can cause a decrease in the efficiency of burning the burning of carbo- carbohydrates. This is also a problem. But now, yeah, well, to sum it up, if you fast with intermittent fasting, with OMAD, or you put yourself in, you use the ketogenic diet to put yourself in a prolonged fasted state without retrieving yourself From food, you actually become more energy efficient, which could also be seen as a downside. If you tend to eat way too much, then being less energy efficient actually maybe accounts for a better burning of the excess calories, kind of. But again, this is being more efficient in general is something that is probably seen as positive. Let's talk finances. What do you think is cheaper? going out to eat or preparing all the meals yourself. The idea is this, in order to optimize your meal, if you then don't buy food from external sources so much, so already prepared food, you can then take the same amount of time, given a fixed amount, not time, but money, to actually buy better ingredients. Also maybe to buy additional supplements and to just buy better foods. This means now you can maybe go organic because you then have just a lot of money that is left at a given fixed money for food budget and this again is a benefit also by not eating during the day you just cut out all the spending of food during the day the only thing you then theoretically ideally buy is either getting going out for dinner or just getting groceries and this is just something you have to do once twice three times a week depending on the size of your household, but and also how much food you have to buy for each individual in your household. But the idea is this that you your spendage for nutrition becomes also much clearer. Other benefits. Since you only eat once during the day. During and also you have the shrinkage of the stomach, and you also have other things. So again, the idea is this. Within a short time window you cannot eat that much too so this is also again a downside if you are already on the edge of binge eating this thing this omar thing could actually put you over the edge of binge eating and actually cause serious problems there but this of course is a risk you have to maybe calculate so again back to one of the benefits because you're or only eating during a so short window of time it becomes much harder to overeat over a long period of time given that you actually keep your times your eating times and things like these therefore over time you will actually probably lose fat because you probably maybe you will also lose muscle but probably not so the idea is this out of all the components your body is made of there is fat so body fat basically subcutaneous and also in in the organs you also in between the organs you also have body fat that's what usually causes a kind of pot belly where the outer skin is maybe still defined and you can still see the muscles but the person still has a belly which is kind of weird so this could be to you to having a lot of stuff in their digestive tract in terms of food in terms of recently digested or eaten eaten food but this could also be that they have just a very high proportion of fat in between the organs, which is called visceral body fat. So now, the idea is over time, because you are restricting yourself in terms of time, and now I'm referencing maybe uh, Peter Atia, who is kind of a medical doctor, not really kind of, but is a medical doctor, but also is... Kind of active in a space of providing information with his podcast. Maybe he also wrote a book already about fasting, about the ketogenic diet, about optimizing health in general, you could say. And he names three levers where you can actually limit your calorie intake or your food intake. The first one is timing. And OMAD is basically all timing. The next one is that you restrict your intake to only certain items of food. And the next one is the reduction or the increase of calories. You should probably never pull all three levers at the same time, which you are kind of doing when fasting. And fasting, so this is something that I shouldn't have said, pulling all three levers at the same time is something that is probably pretty beneficial. But so the more levers you pull, the more you will basically lose fat or basically retrieve, not retrieve, but restrict the intake of your calories and your food, not really only your calories, but your food in general. And yeah, well, that's the three levers of food you can actually use to, not really to manipulate, but to influence your relationship and your food intake. Now here is timing. When it comes to timing, we already discussed a few things. Time management is just such an important part of everyday life because it actually makes us do things and it may prevent us from doing things. Improper time management prevents us from reaching the things we want to reach, reaching the goals we want to reach, actually practicing the activities we want to do, practicing the work we want to do because maybe we cannot make enough money with this type of work we actually want to do. Maybe we actually want to be more fit and maybe do a ultra marathon or things like these. Therefore, time management is basically what life is about. Of course, there's only one variable we can see or one perception. You could also state this thing that this is the one thing that defines life about many other things. But if you have zero time left, then you're basically dead. So therefore, time is a factor, is a knockout factor. If the time is not there, then everything else Doesn't matter anymore. Of course, there are other factors. If your health, for example, is zero, which is kind of equal to the time thing, because, or you could also say this correlates with the time thing, because your time is then probably also close to zero, your health, when your health is also close to zero. It's much more a correlation than a causation, even though the one maybe causes the error, the health causes the decline of the health causes the decline of the time. So now, here's the idea you have your time. The lifetime of one person on this planet is not that long, if you think in big time spans. So now the idea is this. If you, for example, live for twenty-five years, that's roughly around if you have twenty-five years left to live. And there are also other risk factors you have to you have to incorporate into your equation how long you will live. Of course the average life expectancy these days is seventy to eighty years in terms in Approaching 80 years in terms of, in terms of very developed countries with good health systems and with good preventional care already. But the idea is this, you can also die from a motorcycle accident if you, if you ride a a motorcycle, but you can also happen to die of is an external cause you cannot influence. So the idea is this, if you encounter, if you not encounter. But if you incorporate these other risk factors into it, then you probably should take the overall amount of time you still have to live and then shrink it down to incorporate the risk. So the idea is this if you have maybe 25 years left to live after this calculation made, then 25 years is not that much. 25 years is roughly about 8,000 days. And 8,000 days, if you think about it, is not that much. So, as an idea, This is also where it becomes just clearer and clearer again, how clear this whole thing is. If you only eat once during all of these days, then it becomes very clear that you have 8,000 meals. And it becomes very clear that the better you eat, the better the intake, the better the quality of these 8,000 meals you have left is because each and every meal is one single step of these 8000 steps that determines pretty much how long you will live. The better the food intake is, the better you incorporate the current findings of science, for example, using, using things like turmeric, incorporating things like turmeric into your diet to maybe prevent yourself getting Alzheimer's at all, or maybe Further down the line. So basically this means. The healthier you are. The later. All these negative things. That would appear otherwise. Will appear in your life. Why is this the case? This is the case due to many other factors. But the main factor is. that your So there is your chronological age. And your biological age. Your biological age is. The age. You have. Your body has. So how well it is functioning, kind of, compared to the standard for your age group. This means now that your biological age can be higher or lower than your actual chronological age. So you could be 30 years, but you could still have the, the body of a 20-year-old because it just functions that well. So now here's the idea coined by many different people. One of the main ones, David Sinclair, who basically wrote, not basically, but he wrote Lifespan, but he basically states, this is what I wanted to say, is that age is one of the biggest diseases that there is. Because if you, the older you are, the older your body gets, chronological age, of course, mostly causes the biological age, but you can also do things to not reverse your chronological but again your biological age or at least slow down the aging process. So now here's the idea. Aging is one of the main processes, one of the main variables that causes a lot of other variables, a lot of other risk factors to basically close down on you and then kill you. That's the idea of how we die. So basically, There are a lot of risk factors and a good biological age, a low biological age, a healthy body basically keeps all these risk factors at bay. But as soon as you are, as your chronological age probably causes a a huge decline in health, these risk factors become just, so these, for example, death uh, death of cancer. If you are very healthy, then cancer, the the risk for you getting cancer in a certain period of time is fixed, let's say. And then if you just are 20 years older, the risk is probably, not probably, but somewhat around threefold, fivefold, tenfold. I don't know the exact numbers, but that's the idea. The idea is your age, not your age exactly, but a good biological age, therefore a good biological health prevents these factors from multiplying the effect they have on you and therefore crushing you down at some point in time. So basically think of it like this. If you have this time left, there are 8,000 meals and there are also 8,000 days where you can actually do something for your health like fasting, like doing very nice activities, like sport. And all these different things basically keep you going for a longer period of time if you do them right. But if you do them wrong, cancer hits you here. If you do them right, cancer hits you here. And in terms of nutrition, this can actually make a huge difference. Again, time management. You only have 8,000 days left. 24 hours times 8,000 days, and that's the time you have left. And Time only appears in days. Of course, time only could appear in hours and in minutes, but the time is usually the unit we see as the reappearing unit that defines our lives the most, because we sleep once during a day. And this means during 24 hours we sleep once, and therefore it's another day. It's not the half day, it's not two days, it's not the week, it's the day that defines our lives. (laughs) This is a quote (laughs) I just made up. So now... Here's the idea. If you only save, let's say you have eight hours, you sleep. Eight hours is a third of the day already gone. 33% from now, from all of these days that are left, and also the days you already lived, 33% of these days, one third, this is all of it. You just cut cut off the hand and this is what's left. A third is already gone. Then you basically have to work eight hours a day. Let's just assume this because most of us do work eight hours a day, maybe even more, maybe also during the weekends, maybe not during the weekends. It depends. But then what is left is basically only one third. That's the work part. A third of your life is work in terms of absolute amount of days. A third of your life is sleep. And then what is left is the eight hours you still have. And these eight hours are basically all of your social life. All of your sport, all of your activities you do basically in your life apart from work and sleep. So, now here's the idea. If you say the 16 hours you are awake are actually what defines your life, then out of these 16 hours, if you say you take 30 minutes for breakfast, including preparing the breakfast, washing the dishes, eating the breakfast, so basically. 10 minutes preparing, 10 minutes eating and 10 minutes washing the dishes, which already is pretty short and leaves not much room for relaxation while eating or enjoying the food while eating, this is 30 minutes. Then count another 30 minutes for lunch. and It is already very conservatively calculated. Then you have one hour. And this one hour is divided by the 16 hours of the time you are awake. Of course, if you are awake one or two hours more, well, then you are awake two or one hours more and you have a little bit more time. But uh, again, the thing is now, by leaving out the breakfast and the, the lunch, you save, compared to the 16 hours, 6% of your overall lifetime. 6% given you don't enlarge the time of your dinner you otherwise had. If you then take the time and do it for the dinner, then again, eat... In terms of the unit of a single day it doesn't matter but if you save time with this approach and this is probably what most people do then you save compared to the 16 hours six percent and if you compare it to so basically you say sleep a third of your life work a third of your life rest a third of your life if I compare it to this rest this rest of eight hours then you increase the overall lifetime you have available by 12.5%. That's one-eighth of your life by not eating breakfast and lunch. And that's, in summary, what OMAD is about. One major hint, I would say, to figuring all these things out I took a very long time for figuring these things out. And this thing I am describing right now will probably save you a lot of unnecessary keto flu, which is basically uh, being sick because of not being adapted to burning fat and your brain and your body basically striking, not striking, but kind of not wanting to proper, to function properly. The idea is... You have a problem if you are not well adapted to burning fat. And this problem is that the salt and different things, salt influences and water and deprivation of water and salt and deprivation of carbohydrates and the water that is usually stored along with carbohydrates. Basically, if you have carbohydrates in your system, then with every unit of carbohydrate, there's also a little bit of water stored even more water than in terms of weight carbohydrate even. So now the idea is by burning carbohydrates, all these glycogen stores, the main storage in your liver and also the ones in your muscles, what these do constantly is that they also release water. So if you now go into fasting, into the ketogenic diet, the body has a salt and water problem because these two things are really Related kind of and influence each other directly and indirectly. So now here's the idea. If you want to succeed at one meal a day, in my experience, and this is just my experience, again, it, I have heard of many other people that don't have a problem with a normal mixed diet. But for me, the only thing that seems to work and also seems to just keep my mind off of food for the whole day Because if you eat carbohydrates, I have, I don't have, and I don't want to include this in this video, just this whole other discussion about how carbohydrates influence your hunger perception and how, mm, mm, how good you can actually focus during the day due to you being hungry, due to you being hangry because of blood sugar and because of a lot of other factors that actually influence how well your brain functions. Just in short, it's this: if you burn fat, your body has, your body produces a byproduct called ketones. With every unit of ketone that can be burned in your brain, for example, compared to the normal glycogen your brain and the other organs functions on, what happens is that with every unit of ketone, at a fixed, so let's compare these two units: one unit of, of Carbohydrates, one unit of ketones The ketone actually uses less oxygen Which means That you have more oxygen available basically Because at a given unit you ha- The carbohydrates use more oxygen And you don't just breathe in more oxygen or have more oxygen available in your system that's fixed. So therefore, this means you basically have more energy per unit of oxygen that's delivered to your brain. This means your brain works better, in short. That's very simplified and not really completely accurate in terms of scientific background. But this is one of the reasons your brain works better. One of the other ones is the evolutionary we already discussed, that the more you The further away the point of the last meal, the point in time of the last meal was, the more it makes sense to be alert. And also the relaxation aspect of the carbs themselves. So, now, in summary, if you then eat a normal mixed diet with carbohydrates, with fats, with proteins, the more you go into carbohydrates, So at a given fixed amount of protein, because everybody agrees that you should eat a lot of protein. So at a given amount of protein, varying fat, so the proportions of fat and carbohydrates, the more you lean into a fat rich diet and the less you lean into a carbohydrate -rich rich diet. So that's basically the same thing. But if you now have a very carbohydrate rich diet, this causes hunger. This causes you being hangry, this causes the blood sugar to be kind of not very stable and therefore makes OMAD, at least in my experience, much more painful, um, much harder on the willpower than you have less willpower for all the other things you actually wanted to. And a ketogenic diet, so basically more fat at a given protein amount and almost no carbohydrates up to usually 25 or 50 grams depending on your body size or weight, gives you just a much easier experience with intermittent fasting altogether and also with one meal a day called OMAD.